the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There's never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, he really needs no introduction, but he is the executive producer of a new project called Uncle Tom 2, a documentary. Larry Elder. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Welcome to Sideline Sanity, everyone. It is a distinct pleasure to welcome Larry Elder to this show. I was just telling him before we came on that growing up in Southern California, my dad always had talk radio on, always. And he loved Larry Elder. He admired him so much. And I remember my my late father always telling me, you got to listen to Larry Elder. You really would be interested by this man. And so it's a joy to have you here. And it's particularly meaningful to me because I just got to screen Uncle Tom too. And I had seen Uncle Tom, Larry, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. This was another level. This Uncle Tom too, it is, it, it is, I can't recommend this enough. It features prominently one of my heroes, Booker T. Washington. Right. And it, it it's, um, what was the, what was the, the reaction to uncle Tom that made, you know, we got to take the next step. Well, Michelle, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the kind remarks. Uh, before I get started, there are at least three things you and I have in common. Two of them you Uh-oh. probably know. The third, I'm going to ask you to guess. The first is we're both native Californians. The second, both of us call ourselves small L libertarians. We may have some different views on some other things, but we're both small L libertarians. And right. the third, I'm going to ask you to guess. Holy cow. We're both white supremacists. <laughs> I was going to say, we're both black faces of white supremacy. Yeah, the third, right. Well, the third one, Michelle, you'll never guess in a million years, is that both your mother and I have the same maiden name. Your mother and my mother have the same maiden name, Conley. Really? Yes. My mother uh, I- is was born by Viola Conley. Uh, in Huntsville, Alabama. I've got a whole bunch of relatives who are the Conleys. And when I was looking up your background, I was just dumbfounded that your mother and my mother have the same maiden name, Conley. And her and her group of Conleys is not far from there. They came from Tennessee. A lot of them still reside in Tennessee. That is amazing. That is a, you're right. I never would have guessed that in a million years. Oh, number four now, my mom and my dad met in Tennessee. They met and got married in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Stop this it, is this is six degrees of said. This is crazy. All right. Well, now that we know that, which makes me feel a sort of more spiritual connection with you. <laughs> this this film is is 
tremendous work. And, but it, it, how do you compare it to Uncle Tom? Because I, like I said, I watched Uncle Tom and I, I just sat there and just flew by because I was, it was so good. And then this was just a, another, uh, just like a different level. What, 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 what happened between the two? Well, the first one, as you know, in, in my opinion, somebody said it was a love letter uh, to America. It was about the post-slavery struggle of blacks. Uh, and even though we're talking about Jim Crow, we're talking about lynchings and KKK, black people kept moving forward. In 1940, before the Civil Rights Act of 64, before the Voting Rights Act of 65, uh, before uh, uh, anti-interracial uh, marriages, all laws were struck, in, were struck down, before Brown versus Board of Education, 1940, Michelle, 87% of black people lived below the poverty line. 20 years later, 1960, that number had fallen to 47. That's a 40-point drop in 20 years. That's the greatest 20-year period of economic expansion for blacks uh, in American history. Uh, why? Because most black kids were born to nuclear intact families with a father in the house. And also, most blacks fervently believe in God and the values that it creates. Uh, and finally, most blacks believe in entrepreneurship. Fast forward Uncle Tom, too, talks about how the civil rights movement has morphed from a demand for equal rights into a demand for equal results, pushed by Marxists, socialists, collectivists, including the socialists who founded the NAACP. And fast forward, you have arguably one of the most uh, notable movements in the so-called civil rights struggle in the modern day, Black Lives Matter, where 85% of black people support. And the Black Lives Matter was founded by self-described trained Marxists. And as you know, Marx wanted to, quote, dethrone God. Uh, and on their website, before they took it down, Black Lives Matter criticized the nuclear intact family as, sort of some, as some sort of Western construct. And Marx yeah. did not believe in ownership of private property. So the three pillars that made black people survive and thrive after slavery, despite horrific obstacles, were God, entrepreneurship, and family. And they're all being attacked by organizations like Black Lives Matter. It's an absolute travesty what's happened to black leadership. I've often argued, Michelle, uh, if bad leadership were a crime, people like Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, uh, Black Lives Matter, and I can name a whole bunch of other people, they'd be on death row. It's outrageous what's going on. The number one problem facing black America uh, is not the need for critical race theory, not the need for reparations. It's a need for fathers in the home. And forget about elder. Barack Obama once said a kid raised without a father is five times more likely uh, to, to drop up to be poor and to commit crime, nine times more likely probably nine, five times more likely to be poor and commit crimes, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. The question is, how have we gone from 25% of blacks being born outside of wedlock in 1965 to 70% today? And I argue uh, that black people have substituted God and family for government. And, yes. and the welfare state has induced women to marry the government and induced men to to um, abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And that's why we have all this anger, all this frustration, all this pessimism. Booker T. Washington wrote a book called Up From Slavery uh, mm -hmm. in 1901. That's 36 years after slavery. He was born a slave. And if you yes. read the book, it's full of hope. It's full of optimism. Yes. He said when a Negro boy learns to cook, to sew, to wash dishes, or to practice medicine as well as or better than anybody else, he or she will be rewarded without regard of skin. Ask somebody in Black Lives Matter if they feel that way. They'll say, hell no, because of systemic right. racism, enduring racism, foundational racism. They come up with different adjectives for it all the time. And it's an absolute shame what's happened to black America. 
It is. And it's beautifully illustrated. it's, It's strange to use the word beautiful, but honestly, cinematography is in this film is is beautiful there is so much amazing footage that you have from this period of time after the turn of the century when blacks were living in beautiful neighborhoods that they were succeeding uh, up from slavery is one of my one of the most formative books i've ever read one of my favorite books of all time and in it because of its hope, because of what Booker T. Washington believed, and because of the example he set and, and, and how hard he worked. That is not to say that everyone is going to wind up like Booker T. Washington visiting, you know, being this incredible educator who became such a massive figure, but it can lead to happiness, to a feeling of purpose Right. And it seems to me those are the things that this this other viewpoint takes away. I often ask myself, Larry, and, I, and I'll pose this to you. This Marxist idea of replacing God with the government or just erasing religion and really erasing family. And now we see erasing gender, quite frankly. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. What is the utopia they picture? Because it's never ended in utopia. It's never ended well. It's got a superficial appeal. One of my mentors uh, is Thomas Sowell, who's still with us. <laughs> uh, he's written about 30 or 40 books. David Mamet, the playwright, called him America's greatest contemporary philosopher. He was a Marxist for a long time. Yes. Even after he went to University of Chicago uh, and got a PhD in economics, was taught by that, that free market school, he was still a Marxist. And he became, uh, he began to have an evolution in his thinking when he began working for the government. He worked for the Labor Department, and he was asked to do a study on the minimum wage and whether or not it had some sort of uh, beneficial effect. He came back and found out it had a negative effect, it discriminated against people who are unskilled, and he found out they didn't care. And that began to change his thinking. But my point is, somebody as bright as Thomas Sowell went to Harvard, uh, was still a Marxist after he graduated from Harvard, so it's got a very superficial appeal. But what's happened is, a lot of people have taken the civil rights movement uh, and uh, and taken it from the quest for equal rights, as I said, to a quest for equal results. And those are two very different things. Okay. You know, he grew up, Thomas Sowell, uh, in, in New York, uh, in Harlem in 1940. And he told me that when he was growing up, there was went to an all-black school, of course, uh, and those on the Lower East Side were all Irish schools and all Italian schools. And sometimes the black schools would have higher grades. Sometimes the Italian school would. Sometimes the Irish school would. But they're all pretty much around the same level of education. Fast forward now, you have a 50% dropout rate in many of our urban schools. 
Baltimore has 13 public high schools in the inner city, Michelle, where 0% of the kids are math proficient. And another half a dozen where only one is. And nationwide, according to the national test, 85% of black eighth graders are not reading proficient or math proficient. That means 85% of black eighth graders are functionally illiterate. You did not have those kinds of numbers a generation or two after slavery. So something has happened. And what that something is, as I said, is the collapse of the nuclear intact family. Uh, Tony Dungy, the Hall of Fame coach, won a Super Bowl with the Colts, was a guest of mine early in the days of this podcast and talked he has an organization, All Pro Dad, and he is very much in favor of and out there acting and 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 trying to teach young black men about responsibility, about the importance of the father in the home. And the statistics certainly I know you can lie with statistics. You can't lie this way with statistics. You cannot look at these numbers and deny it. And 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 it it's it's just common sense. Um Again, it never ends well. And so I wonder, I wonder if people are even learning the kind of history that you're teaching in this film. That's the one thing I really enjoyed about Uncle Tom, too, was how much I was reminded about history that I learned a lot of this in my in my education, but it it really connected it so well for me and reminded me of what's out there and and what's bad and what marxism really is and i just wonder how many people are are duped and don't understand really what they're saying when they say we should be a socialist country we should be a marxist country well that's just it they they are they are ill informed undereducated and as you put it duped the democratic party in my opinion has a vested interest in making sure that blacks perceive themselves to be victims how else do you get 13% of black people to vote 90% or 95% for one party unless that party has successfully marketed itself as a party of social justice? We wear the white hat in that fight, and these dastardly Republicans over there wear the black hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why, in my opinion, Democrats push these kinds of things and refer to people like Donald Trump as a racist. George W. Bush was called a racist. Ronald Reagan was called a racist. Uh, they're all called racist. Because in order to get that kind of vote, you've got to convince people uh, that uh, that you're that you're victims of systemic racism, uh, uh, foundational racism, what have you. And we, by the way, uh, are the are the defenders of you in that fight. It's very insulting, very condescending. And one of the things that that I saw recently on television, Michelle, I'm watching. A pretty, I believe it was a Super Bowl, and there was a Citigroup commercial, and a black guy was was walking down the hall, and he was talking about. Uh, the massacre that took place in 1921 uh, in Tulsa. We talk about it a little bit in Uncle Tom, yes. too. It was called Black Wall Street, and there was a riot, and it was burned to the ground. What this guy did not mention in the commercial is that within a few years, it was completely rebuilt, bigger and better than ever, ever without a dime from government money. And this is the work ethic and the drive and the belief uh, that blacks used to have around that time. And it's completely gone now. You walk through the inner city of Baltimore, of L.A., of Chicago, a bunch of people hanging on the corner, uh, uh, smoking dope, selling dope, uh, talking about uh, systemic oppression. It's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And until people wake up and they've got to wake up and recognize no matter what your circumstances are, you pick up your cards and you play them to the best of your ability. My father, Michelle, never knew his biological father. Uh, my father was 13 years old when his irresponsible mother kicked him out of the house uh, in Athens, Georgia, uh, right at the beginning of the Great Depression uh, during Jim Crow. Uh, and my father cleaned toilets, two full-time jobs cleaning toilets when I was growing up, started a little cafe when he was in his late 40s, 
ran until his late 80s. And my father always told my brothers and me, hard work wins. You get out of life what you put into it. You cannot control the outcome, Larry, but you are 100% in control of the effort. Before you complain about what somebody did to you, he would say, go to the nearest mirror, look at it and ask yourself, what could I do to change the outcome? And finally, my dad told my brothers and me, no matter how hard you work, how good you are, sooner or later, bad things are going to happen to you. How you address those bad things will tell your mother and me if we raise demand. Now, Michelle, <laughs> anybody had a reason to be angry at the world and to believe that uh, he or she was systemically racist? It's my mom and my dad. My mom grew up on a farm in Huntsville, Alabama, also during Jim Crow, and they both embraced education. And anytime my brothers and I would complain, they would say, what are you complaining about? The sky is the limit. The door now is wide open. And that was in the 50s and the 60s, for crying out loud, before Obama got elected and reelected with, by the way, a higher percentage of the white vote than John Kerry did four years earlier. Racism yeah. has never been a less significant factor in American life. It's never been more important for the Democrats, however, in order for them to be successful, at least at the presidential level. And we need to knock it off. When we come back from a quick break, Larry Elder just said something important. It's time for people to wake up. I want to know what woke him up, although it sounds like his dad woke him up pretty early. And then what gives him hope, what the reaction he's seeing from these films that gives him hope. And hopefully we'll end on a, on a, on a hopeful note right after this. Well, since November of last year, the stock market has tanked. But gold has been on the rise. Gas prices, meanwhile, are, I, I don't know how to describe them anymore. They're a joke. The stock market is extremely volatile. Inflation is hovering between 8 and 9%. We have the war with Russia and Ukraine. We see no end in sight to that. The markets don't like all this instability, but the good news is you have options. Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection because gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust when it comes to investing in gold and silver. You need an investment that's going to protect your wealth and your retirement. Call Legacy Precious Metals. You want to do it today. Do it today before you run out of time. I mean, I hate to remind you about 2008, but those who invested in gold in 2008 saw huge gains and others lost their retirements. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you on all of your options for investing in gold and silver. Why wouldn't you just call and ask the questions? You can speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals at 866-528-1903, 866-528-1903, or you can download their free investor's guide. It's free at LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Back with Larry Elder, who has been called so many names, <laughs> and and yet, I, you know, you're you're as resilient as they come. You're as courageous as they come because you don't you let that stuff kind of fall off you like water off a duck's back, and and you have said to people, wake up. What what makes you different from so many people that you're trying to reach? What what happened in your life? that that puts you in a position to see things the way you do that other people don't see? Well, you know, my mom, my dad, again, always told us about hard work. Yeah. Uh, my mom and I were reading a little thin book of all the presidents in our at our old house. I know I had to be younger than seven years old because that's the age we moved from uh, an area of L.A. Uh, called Tico Union, which was largely Hispanic, to Uptown, South Central. 
mm-hmm. and that was in 1959. And it was a book of all the presidents from George Washington to the then incumbent Dwight Eisenhower. And when the book closed, my mother looked at me and she said, Larry, someday, if you want it, you can be in this book. And this is 1959. And I never doubted her. I never wanted to be president, but I never doubted that that's what was the possible if I worked hard. My dad always worked hard. My dad was a lifelong Republican. And my dad used to always say things like this. Uh, Democrats want to give you something for nothing. When you try and get something for nothing, you almost always end up, end up getting nothing for something. I could say it in my sleep. So my parents were always hopeful, optimistic, uh, and believed in America. My dad was a Marine. He served in World War II. He was stationed on the island of Guam. Uh, very patriotic. So it never occurred to me to think of myself as a victim. It never occurred to me that I couldn't realize my God-given potential if I worked hard. Uh, as far as what makes me hopeful, <clears throat> I was on the air for, I've been on the air now for about 30 years on, yeah. on radio and about 40 years on radio and television. So I was on the air for about a, about a, maybe about a year and I'm called Uncle Tom and foot shuffling Uncle Tom and bootlicker and coconut, and Oreo. One guy even called up and called me the Antichrist. So I'm walking to a restaurant in the in, in, uh, in the area not too far from where the station is, and there are two black guys sitting on a brick wall smoking cigarettes. And one of them says, Larry Elder, come over here. Now, Michelle, they weren't dressed the best. And I'm thinking, if they were going to shoot me, they'd have shot me by now. So I went <laughs> over. And one of them said, you know, Larry, I've been listening to you now for about six, seven months. And... I used to hate you. Now I love you. You're like castor oil. (laughs) Don't don't taste good going down, but it's good for you. Keep it up. So every now and then I'll get a letter like that from somebody who told me, (laughs) I hated you five years ago, hated you 10 years ago, hated you 25 years ago. But the more I've looked at it, the more I, the older I get, the more I see you're absolutely right. I am not a victim. Uh, My fate is in my hands. And if I didn't get what I want, it's on me. More and more people are coming to that realization and are beginning to, to, to realize that people like Joe Biden, who told Charlemagne the God, you ain't really black if you don't know whether or not you want to vote for me or Trump, right. are manipulating you. It's funny. There's a genre of movies that black critics don't like. They're called white savior movies, uh, like The Help, uh, yeah. like uh, like Blindside with Sandra yes. Bullock. She takes in this black guy in who didn't know what he was doing, where he was going until she put her arm around her. I, I'm not resentful of this genre of movie, but a lot of people are. But what about these white savior liberal politicians like Joe Biden that tell you that, you know, Republicans don't want black people voting, man? That's what he told uh, Al Sharpton one time in an interview. You got all these people like Beto O'Rourke who are talking about enduring uh, racism and foundational racism. Mayor Pete, same thing. All telling you that you are victims. The normal rules do not apply to you. There's a think tank on the left called the Brookings Institution, Michelle. It's probably the most prominent one. And there's one on the right called the American Enterprise Institute. They don't agree on very much, but, but they do agree on the essential step it takes to leave poverty. Number one, finish high school. Number two, don't have a kid before you're 20. Number three, get married before you have the kid. Number four, get a job. Keep that job, even if it's a minimum wage job, because within six months, you'll get a raise. And finally, avoid the criminal justice system. You do those things, you will not be poor. You don't do them, there's a very good chance you will be. Both of them agree on that. So what are we talking about here? You got people from Haiti coming up here trying to get into America, Central America, South America, of Cubans braving shark infested water to get here. Why? Because they believe America is is systemically racist. It's ridiculous. The pessimism there is in America when there's so little reason for it. 
It, it's remarkable to me that that this narrative is allowed to, or, or it, it gains traction the way that it does. But I think it appeals to some people who don't really know history. Let's be honest, because if they did, if they read the the kinds of books that that and, and you know, people are going to yell at me and say, "Oh, but history's whitewashed and history this and that," and you read the history you want to read and. No, read the good, the bad, and the ugly. Read all of it. Read all of history, but you will find in it an inherent hope, a progress every step of the way until, as you said, these last, what is it, however many years since the civil rights movement, since the Al Sharptons came along. And it, and it really is, it's, it's, it's so sad to see. Um, I'm glad that you're kept going and you're buoyed by people who respond to you. I, I am thrilled about this. Uncle Tom too. What is what is your proudest achievement in this film? Is there one part of it that you feel especially is going to speak to people? I think so. I think the part about the Harlem Renaissance and about how these black people went from the South, came to New York and began buying buildings, buildings from white people to the point where white people living in Harlem were complaining about black gentrification. Uh, there are a lot of black entrepreneurs that a lot of people are unaware of, again, who struggled uh, during a period of time. And one would have thought uh, that a black person could become successful uh, selling a good or a service. The first uh, self-made uh, female millionaire uh, was, a, was a black woman, uh, Madam uh, C.J. Walker. And so these are the kinds of things that I'm, that I'm proud of. We spent two years going through archives uh, producing some of these beautiful pictures that you see in Uncle Tom, too. And I must also credit the director. His name is Justin Malone. As you saw, the film is beautiful. He's yes. got every bit a great, great an eye as Tim Burton or, or James Cameron, who did Avatar. He is an absolute artistic genius. Yes. And we collaborated to do both those films. And I'm really quite proud of the work that I've done. It was also co-written by a guy named uh, Ryder Ansel, and I also co-wrote it. So you can also, by the way, see the first one, Uncle Tom 1, for free on UncleTom.com. We really want everybody in the country to see Uncle Tom 1. And then go over and you can pre-order Uncle Tom 2 on UncleTom.com or on SalemNow.com, uh, right. which will be distributing the film on August 26th when it uh, premieres. But if you pre-order it, you get a bit of a discount. So that's a good thing. And, and I've told people, because I saw Uncle Tom 1 first, or just Uncle Tom, and then I saw this one. Look, it, it, it isn't essential that you see them in order, I don't think, because I, I just thought Uncle Tom 2 on its own was so gorgeous and 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 impactful is, is the best overall word I can give it because in every scene, I just found myself just kind of staring, just thinking. And, and that's what I'm so excited about for people to see it. I'm gifting it to everyone I know. Uh, it was interesting to me. There were, they seemed like very different approaches between the first two. The first one was very interview centric. And the second one was as well, but not, not to the extent it was more, to me, it was more historic how, how did you sort of take that step? What what did you learn after the first one that made you think we can go sort of in a different direction this time? Well, the, the second one is a much deeper dive into exactly yeah. what happened to the civil rights movement, exactly what happened, uh, how these how these Marxists and who these Marxists were that co-opted the civil rights movement. Uh, so the other one, uh, someone described the first one as a... Um, a love letter to America. Yeah. Uh, I would describe the second one as a Dear John letter to the Marxists and the collectivists uh, and the socialists who co-opted the uh, the civil rights movement. 
Um, so that's the difference between the two of them. Uh, they're just both, I think, extremely important, moving films. And by the way, Michelle, the first one, the rule of thumb here in, in Hollywood is if you make a film and you generate three times its cost, that's a success. Uh, Uncle Tom generated 10 times its cost, uh, more money than four of the five that were nominated for 2020 Academy Awards for Best Documentary combined. I think all of them combined, but it was hard to say because one of them was on Netflix and you can't separate out the money that that one made. But it made more money than four of the five that were nominated for Best Documentary by the Academy Awards combined, had a higher IMDb rating than any of them, any of them including the one that won. We hired a consultant to try to get the Academy Awards to at least give it some consideration for nomination. We couldn't get arrested. Nobody cared, even though it was far more successful than any of the ones that were nominated. If you go on IMDb, just read the reviews. They will blow you away. Mm-hmm. You can score them on a score from, from 1 to 10, and about 95% or so of the ratings are 10, and the others are 1. And the 1 are people who are Larry Elder haters, the ones that call yeah. me the black face of white supremacy, or people that are just what I call victocrats. And they've mired into the, into the notion that the reason for the so-called black plight today is because of systemic racism, and they don't want to hear a, a, another point of view. But anybody who's looked at the film with an open mind is giving it either a 9 or a 10 rating. And, and it's just, I, I, could, I couldn't have written some of the reviews that are on IMDb. Mm. I'm not surprised by that uh, because, and I'll probably go write my review of, of Uncle Tom too as well. I, I just, I just didn't expect to be that blown away, and and I was. So I congratulate you again. I'm so grateful you took the time to talk to us about it. I encourage people to see this. Whatever your mindset is, it, you need to learn this stuff. You need to see this stuff. I always encourage people to read up from slavery. To me, that should be like required reading in America. But, you know, that's just me. A girl can wish. But I, I, so I, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, but I congratulate you. If this doesn't get any attention from the Hollywood elite, we all know why, right? We all know why. Yeah. That's right. All right, Larry, before we let you go, you ever thought about running for president? Funny you should ask, Michelle, I have a political action committee, which I set up after I ran for governor. Uh, as you know, I ran for governor out here, and uh, you're in my state of California. I yes. didn't win, but I got 3.5 million votes. Uh, there were 46 people on the replacement side. I got more votes than virtually all of them combined. I raised $22 million in seven and a half weeks, more than all of them combined, including the one that ran against Gavin Newsom the first time, who's a multimillionaire, John Cox, who put in a bunch of his own money. I raised more money than all of the other ones combined. California, as you know, has 58 counties. On the placement side, I carried 57 of 58. The only one I didn't carry was San Francisco, and I lost that <laughs> by, wait for it, a whopping 149 votes. 150,000 individual donors, half of them came from out of, from, from outside of California. And right. many of them said to me, Larry, if you don't win your race as governor, would you consider running for something else? And that something else uh, is president of the United States. And I've always told people, uh, you're nuts, you're crazy. But when the race, race was over and I began looking at it, the math in California is daunting. Republicans are outnumbered three to one. There hasn't been a Republican who's won in California in 20 years. But frankly, the nation would be easier to win. Now, yeah. so I'm giving strong consideration, that's how I'll put it, strong consideration to running for president in 2024. And it's not because I oppose uh, Donald Trump, I admire him, or I oppose Ron DeSantis, I admire him if he gets in, or Mike Pompeo, who might get in, or Nikki Haley, who might get in. 
I have some of my own things I want to talk about. Some of them are the things you and I talked about on the show, and that is the demise of the family, uh, pushing for school choice, getting rid of things like critical race theory, getting rid of these soft on crime DAs, and pushing for initiatives and policies that strengthen families. Again, the number one domestic problem in America is a large number of kids. Now, 40% of all kids enter the world without a father married to the mother. I mentioned 70% of black kids do. Half of Hispanic kids do. 25% of white kids do. It is our number one social problem. And frankly, neither the Democrats nor the Republicans spend very much time talking about that. So I'm thinking about running for president in order to get those issues on the table. Uh, I just want to get on the debate stage and talk about these kinds of things so I can maybe put them up to the upper upper list of things that Americans are concerned about and Americans need to address. So, yes, I'm considering running for president, Michelle. I'm going to take that as a I, I when someone says they're considering, Larry, they're they're ninety nine percent of the way there. Can well, I is that fair? Well, speaking of fair, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> Uh, within a few days, I'm going to the Ohio State Fair, which is kind of a rite of passage if you're going to run for uh, president as a Republican. I'm going to meet all the major players. I was invited to come out there, uh, and I'm going to meet some pretty uh, deep pocket donors. Uh, so I- I'm I'm just kind of you know checking the tires, uh, finding how people feel, uh, checking the pulse. But if I get good vibes, there's a very good chance that, that I may that I may very well consider running for president. I will make a formal announcement if I make one sometime early next year. Okay. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to predict that Larry Elder will be running for president. And hopefully this is the first place most people have heard that. You are a welcome participant in this debate, in this whole discussion. Every topic that you raise matters. I'm a huge school choice advocate. Huge. Every day they keep making the case stronger and stronger. The public schools do and the Department of Education and the National Education Association make a stronger case for why we should have school choice. So that's a big one for me. Larry, this is big news. It's exciting. And uh, I can't wait to see where it goes. Elderforamerica.com. Throw something in the tip jar. Let's take back this country. (laughs) Elderforamerica.com. Wow. Well, Larry, that is big news. Thank you. Congratulations on the film. Everyone should see it. I'm Michelle Tafoya. This is Sideline Sanity. Be brave, do good, and go check out Uncle Tom too. And the original Uncle Tom as well. Well, we always appreciate it when Charles Thorngren can join the join the podcast and talk a little money and gold in particular with us, gold and silver. And Charles, it's, these are mad times. I mean, it's just really wacky. And anyone who's watching the stock market is probably asking themselves, what do I do? I don't, I don't know, you know, I'm not, I don't know how to ride this roller coaster with everyone. And so obviously you recommend investing in precious metals. What's the first step that someone should take in learning about what precious metals can do for them? You know, the, the first step, um, give us a call, right? We're, we're going to show you what options there are available. Um, that's what Legacy is about, is showing you options and, and educating everyone. The important thing to know is that we don't invest in gold and silver because it's pretty or because it's it's unique. Those things are true, but we do it because it has the history of being the true diversity for someone's portfolio. It's the insurance policy against everyone's retirement 
and their uh, their savings. So, so this is why we look at at gold and silver specifically. It's the currency that was always meant to be, right? It's not a fiat currency. There's no um, inflationary effect on it. Gold and silver are going to be worth what they're worth. The thing that changes with everything is the amount of dollars it takes to buy that gold and silver and the amount of dollars you get for owning that gold and silver. That's the big key. And this is what people don't understand about it typically is that it is not the stock market and it is not the dollar. It's an investment that is counter to both of those. So it gives you true diversity and balance is what everyone's looking for right now. They just don't know it. As inflation gets higher, this is where gold and silver come in. Someone is saying, okay, I want to do this, but I want to choose one or the other. When they call you and ask you these questions, when would you recommend gold and when would you recommend silver? You know, that's a great question. And what a lot of people wind up doing is actually doing a little of both because that's possible, right? But it's going to depend on your specific investment parameters. And that's one of the things we're going to do that we're, we're different from your typical stockbroker because we're not going to say, this is what all my customers are doing because that's not what's important. What's important is what matters to you and your portfolio. When is your retirement coming up? What are you looking to accomplish, right? What are your risks? What are, what, are your, what are your safety features that you need? So there's a lot that goes into it. And what we do here is, is talk with you, right? Our, our big thing is to educate you so that you understand why you're doing it as well as in what form and fashion, because that's important. It is important. And I think, too, that people probably think uh, I'm a small investor. This is not for me. I can't I can't afford to do this. I can't afford to do this at a level that will benefit me to them. You would say what? Um, I don't think you can afford not to. If you have money saved and you're not flush with cash, it's more important than ever for you to make sure that you put yourself in a protective situation. Right. You have less to lose. So you should not lose it. it. It's really, you know, it's it's not about how much money you have or don't have. It's about how much protection you need. And if you don't have a, a very large portfolio, then you probably need it more than the guy who does. Because you can't afford that loss. And look at what the market's done over the course of the year. We are talking about a situation where the loss is extravagant and it's not done yet. This is why we look at uh, precious metals to counter that. And lastly, Charles, for those who fear that a recession may already be here or is coming, what do you tell them about how in a recession this investment helps out? Great question. A couple answers there. We are in a recession, um, but the reality is it's not going to get bad for a few more months. Then it's really going to be bad. What we see happen next year is going to be devastating. Just think 2007, 2008, right? The troubles with 2008 happened in 2007. It just took time for it to hit the market in a real sense. And this is what we see. You know, we have inflationary numbers that rival the 80s. Um, That's something that's going to be dramatic. So, When we look at this, we say, why do we want to do it? And that's exactly why. It helps because it's not the dollar and it's not the stock market, right? This is the safe haven investment. And if you look at long-term wisdom, that's what metals do. 
They give you a place to store your wealth without the effects of inflation, right? Inflation is good for your metals. The stock market correcting is good for your metals. Uh, a weak economy is better for your metals. So that's what it's meant to do. And that's why it has its place in the economy. We're talking about a worst case scenario right now, but even under the best of terms, the government tells you two to 3% inflation is a good thing. And at two or 3%, it doesn't sound bad, right? But over the course of your retirement and your lifetime investing, if you go 40 years, you've lost over 120% of value of your dollar by not having metals. So even in the best of times, there should be some in your portfolio. And during the worst, you really want to make sure you get a hold of somebody who can explain why and show you what options you have. Yeah, that's why we love to recommend Legacy Precious Metals on our show, Sideline Sanity. So the website is LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. You can also go to the website and find the phone number to call, learn a whole lot more. It's just worth asking some questions, right? A quick phone call and getting more information about everyone's specific situation. Absolutely. We're a no-pressure organization. Everyone who contacts us, they reach out to us. We share information. If it's right for you, great. If it's not, that's great too. Learning something never hurt anybody. No, that is true. And we're <laughs> glad we had you on to learn something from you today, Charles Thorngren. Again, it's LegacyPMInvestments.com. Please go check them out. Just ask some questions. Learn a little something. Thank you so much, Charles. My pleasure. Thank you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.